Thanks for joining us at Colts to Consciousness. This storytelling podcast is meant to be for entertainment purposes only and does not substitute for any medical advice. We may discuss triggering topics and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. Lastly, the opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the host. I can guarantee you Jubilee Middle Ground Mormons versus ex-Mormons was not good for the Mormon church's image. And Cardin was reason number one, two, and three. <laughs> Cardin said two to three times more cringy stuff How that didn't that make possible, it in. John? No, it's it's hundred percent true. Bella went out to lunch with the ex-Mormons after it was Did over. She? Oh, wow. And she basically said I I was kind of embarrassed to be on the side that I was. Oh. I wish that I had been on your side. Who wants to defend the ra- the systemic racism, the sexism, the misogyny, homophobia. the homophobia, the lies, the deceit? I feel sorry that they were put in the position. It should have been the church leaders mm. who were defending oh, the Mormon that church. That would have been so entertaining. But inevitably, your apologetics, Cardin and Kwaku and Tambor, are going to accelerate the disaffection of faithful believing Mormons because you just, it's not compelling. It's not credible. It's cringy. It's not thoughtful. It's not informed. So like, if you love the church, do yourselves in the church a favor and pass the mic. Hey, my name is Shalise Ansola. And I'm Jonathan Rosales. And this is Cults to Consciousness, where we discuss leaving high-demand religions or organizations and finding healing and independence through awareness and true individual sovereignty. If you're only listening and you want to see all three of our faces today, you can go to our YouTube channel at Cults to Consciousness. It would mean the world if you could like, subscribe, become an advocate for people who are coming on and bravely sharing their stories. So today's guest, it's obvious I'm not in my studio. I'm at Mormon Stories Studio with John DeLynn. Thank you so much for having hey, us, John. Please. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, what a treat. Thank you for being on. Yeah. yeah My we, pleasure. Thank you for being on. Yeah. We <laughs> just recorded a three-hour episode with John interviewing me, which was very interesting. I'm like, wow, I'm in the hot seat for It was once. amazing. Shalise is the bomb, as you know. <laughs> you. How'd you feel about that, by the way? Yeah, it was it was very interesting because it was like a culmination of all the stories I've ever told on any given episode of our podcast all in one place. So if you're interested in seeing that and seeing the overarching story of my life, you can go check that out on John's channel. I teared up. I was back there crying. I cried twice. Oh, babe. Yeah. (laughs) I teared up too. Well, I straight up cried, but you know, you'll see when you, when you watch it. So today's episode with the amazing John DeLynn, who's been doing this for years and years, 20 plus years, right, John? This interviewing with Mormon stories. Yeah, you are the number one voice in the Mormon space. And so it's an honor to be able to collab with you and to get your opinions on things. Thank you. And you were recently on a Jubilee episode. For those who aren't familiar, they have this series called Middle Ground, where they try to find middle ground between opposing parties. And John was on the episode of Mormons versus ex-Mormons. Highly entertaining, very frustrating. I was yelling at the screen a few times while watching this. John has an incredible reaction video. Highly recommend you go and watch that with everyone who was on the panel of the ex-Mormon side. And we've done a video with Kara Nuance Ho, where we talk specifically about being welcoming of the LGBTQ community. So we're going to kind of not go into depth on that prompt, but you can go check out those lives. We'll link everything in the description. So, 
The first prompt, John, was, is Mormonism a cult? And I thought it's funny how at the bottom it had a little statistic. They had taken a poll of the general public. 78% said yes. <laughs> and, of course, was it all of the ex-Mormons who stepped forward? I think so, right? Yeah. None of the Mormons and all the ex-Mormons, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. All the ex-Mormons stood. How it works, if you haven't seen the show, is they say a prompt, and then if you agree with it, the people who agree step forward, they talk about it, the disagreeers will then come forward afterward, and they try to find middle ground. So, is Mormonism a cult? You guys, if you've seen my show, you already know that I think it's a yes. But, John, you gave a really good answer where you spoke about the bite model. There was some pushback of like, well, if every well, if everything's a cult, then nothing is a cult, said the ex Mormons, and it was really interesting because... The was Quaker, the Mormon, yeah. Yeah, 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 they were trying to diminish the word, which I understand, it happens frequently, and people will say, well, anything can be a cult, and it really does a disservice to those who are leaving high demand They were saying, groups. like, Apple can be a cult, and, you right. know, you know... And, the, the, well, I think one of them said my show choir in high school. And Star Wars, Star right? Star Wars, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which they, people can, there can be a cult following of something, right? And you can have a mentality of this is the best thing and the only thing, but no one's going to care if you switch to Android. <laughs> no yeah, one's going to exactly. care if you don't watch yeah. the next trilogy of they're Star Wars. They're missing the coercion part of the the element of the puzzle. Right. That's one of the things they're yeah. missing. Yeah. 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 And the harm. And John, <laughs> and yeah. Harm, will yeah. you talk to that a little bit? Because you did mention it in the episode. You're like, okay, but let's talk about the actual harms yeah. of cults. I mean, there's that, that whole middle ground thing was so hard for me because I, I've got so much I want to say, but I'm aware that I could dominate <laughs> and be obnoxious, obnoxiously command the whole conversation because right. none of those people have been doing this for 20 years or 30 right. years. Um, and I wanted to represent ex-Mormons well. And, uh, but, but I also wanted to give space for the amazing co, you know, panelists on the group yeah. and not be mean to the other side. So yeah, there's so much I wish I had said. The first is that my favorite definition, my favorite and simplest definition of a cult I learned from a fellow Mormon, his name's Thomas McConkie. And he once told me that a cult is any organization that won't let you leave with your dignity intact. Mm. And I thought that would have been particularly um, valuable to say in front of Quaku and Cardin because they co-host uh, a YouTube channel called, it's now called Ward Radio. It used to be called Midnight Mormons, but they basically demean and mock ex-Mormons, mm. make fun of them, demean them, ridicule them, mischaracterize them, smear them, slander them, lie about them. They're the perfect examples of a cult mentality mm -hmm. of just not giving an ex-cult member the dignity of just, uh, oh, it didn't work for them, or it right. wasn't healthy, or they had sincere disagreements with the way the church is run. So that's the first thing I wish I would have said. I wish I would have, like, mic drop, summed it up with that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I was going to say one other thing, but did y'all want to react to that? No, I think that's great. And the thing that you did bring up was the harm. You're yeah, like, yeah. let's talk about the dangers of actual cults that does not exist in Star Wars and Apple products. Yeah, yeah. And I would even start somewhere before then, because Steve Jobs never claimed to speak with God. Sure. He never claimed <laughs> to represent God. He never, you know, he may charge a lot for his product, but there's full 
a relatively full informed consent. You're not pressured. You're not told that if you don't buy an iPhone, you won't be able to attend your own daughter's wedding or go to heaven or, or your salvation. Mm-hmm. Your eternal salvation will depend on whether you buy an iPad. So there's a lot of coercion. There's a lot of, uh, you know, claims of divine, um, license that a a show choir steve jobs george lucas the star wars franchise is never going to make and that's that's really serious i i often maybe i said this when you interviewed me before i think it should be illegal to claim you speak for god Mm -hmm. i know that people believe in religious liberty but that's just too much power to give anybody and i think the the mormons were downplaying the severity of when Russell M. Nelson or Thomas S. Monson or Gordon B. Hinckley or Spencer W. Kimball claim to speak to God Mm -hmm. and then tell gay people that God doesn't approve of their core nature and then they want to kill themselves. That's different than, again, buying an iPad or an Mm -hmm. iPhone or like who's leading your show choir. So it was a way to diminish and trivialize the, again, not, not the harm, cause we'll get to that. Yeah. But just the, the truth claims of divine sanction, because the Mormon church, let's just be clear. The Mormon church doesn't just say, we're one of many churches. Oh, right. Pick us, pick the other ones. We're all good. <laughs> there are many paths up Mount Fuji. No, it's like, this is God's one and only true church. And, you know, you won't be with your loved ones, your parents, your siblings, your spouse. You'll be in sad heaven if you don't do everything we tell you to do, mm-hmm. including giving us 10% of your income and denying your sexuality for your entire life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's not even touching the harm. And then the final thing is the harm continuum. Uh, you know, the, the, whether it's all the marriages that have been destroyed because one simply lost their faith in the Mormon church and then the believing spouse divorced them, all the parental alienation of parents disowning kids or like ex-spouses trying to falsely accuse the ex-Mormon's ex-spouse so that the kids can be denied, mm-hmm. just the, the soft and the hard shunning that happens. And then you get to things like not only LGBTQ, depression and anxiety and suicide, but just straight Mormons and Mormon youth who are shamed over masturbation or mm-hmm. pornography or sexual experimentation or, or alcohol or marijuana experimentation that's completely normative. Mm-hmm. But then in a Mormon context, you're literally making Jesus suffer extra because you tried a joint or whatever. Right. right. And so there's that harm that Star Wars is never going to cause. Someone's show choir is never going to cause that, that Apple. I mean, you could argue problems with Apple, but again, um, it's just, it's a different thing because it's not claiming to be led by God and Jesus. Yeah. The stakes are a lot different. And something that I really liked that you said was the cumulative harm. So you had mentioned, okay, you guys all agree that Jonestown was a cult or Heaven's Gate was a cult and they had mass suicides. But if you were to put those numbers against the stats of all of the deaths in the name of Mormonism, it doesn't even come close. Exactly. Yeah. And some of that some of those comments from Cardin were left on the cutting room floor, but he did make that point that he's like, I live in California and I've seen Heaven's Gate and I saw Jim Jones uh, and, and that's a cult, you know, and and I'm just like, okay, add up the total deaths of, of Heaven's Gate and Jonestown, yeah. 300, 500, I don't know, mm-hmm. like that's uh, one year 
of deaths related to, you know, a couple years in Mormonism, mm -hmm. but then 40, 50, 60, 100, 150 years of Mormonism. I mean, I, I used to look at the obituaries and every week there'd be a teenager who it mentions their death and they were in show choir and they, you know, loved theater mm -hmm. and all of a sudden they're not alive anymore. And, you know, we all know what was going on there with the LGBT Mormon youth yeah. suicide epidemic. You know, so, so in some sense, a less severe cult is more dangerous because it, uh, it, it doesn't get shut down. It sneaks by. And it's, right. and it's allowed to grow to a very large size. Right. And do a lot more harm over time to a lot more people because it's kind of under the radar. Yeah. Right. It's the ones that are not as obvious. And we spoke about this on the episode we just recorded with you, where you have the cults where it's clearly physically trapping someone in a space and then you have the cults that psychologically trap you and those are the ones that are almost more dangerous in the sense that you said you can go your entire life not even realizing you're imprisoned in your mind you're self-policing you are living in this guilt and the shame that fully informs all of your decisions and does control your life without even being aware of it and that's extremely dangerous yeah, yeah. You, you know add? you gave such a thoughtful response to that the first thing I want to know is like, wh how, what did they have to say to that? But more so in general, it seems like you're probably going to present a lot of facts. Do you feel like you guys just overall, after it was done, the, the debate that you took it home and you won that one? I mean, I do. I But I want to say that with a few asterisks. One is that like it's fish in a barrel. Like who would want to defend the Mormon church? And by the way, for the record, I still have a lot of love for the Mormon church. I still believe the Mormon church does a lot of good. Um, and so I'm always ambivalent about even calling the church out because a lot of people, their degrees of a, of harm. And there are people who had really fantastic Mormon upbringings that don't report a lot of trauma, a mm -hmm. lot of abuse, a lot of coercion. They had progressive parents. They weren't shamed sexually. They, mm -hmm. they married who they wanted to marry and, and they've had the life they want to have. Sure. But, but having, having said that, um, who wants to defend the ra the systemic racism, the sexism, the misogyny, homophobia. the homophobia, the lies, the deceit, like I, I couldn't defend it even when I was a Mormon. And so I feel sorry that they were put in the position. It should have been the church leaders mm. who were defending oh, the Mormon that church. That would have been so entertaining. But, but those dudes don't even grant that. media interviews. And if they do, it's like, you can only ask three questions and three we vet them questions. ahead of time. And all our mm. handlers are there to stop the interview at, at any time. There was a time when Gordon Mehinkley would go on Larry King I Live. I remember that. And he would answer questions for an hour, the hardest questions, or he'd go on 60 Minutes and, you know, field questions from Mike Wallace. But now they don't just because the Internet's just, you know, it's caught up to everybody. So anyway, yeah. I do feel sorry that they had to that that they were defending the indefensible. And so I want to acknowledge that we won, but the playing field wasn't level to begin with. Sure. Yeah. Um, uh, having said that, I, I don't think and this isn't a jab on Jubilee. I don't think 
the the people that got chosen were the were the best representatives from the church in my opinion i think they would have done much better to have like a patrick mason a jenna reese you know really thoughtful mormon scholars who talk about mormonism for a living mm. uh you know a christine harris you know uh, I, I don't know there's i could name a hundred people that would have been better than Cardin and Quaku, you know specifically um, so, and, and then the final thing is just those guys, uh, they, they don't deal in the world of evidence and facts, especially Cardin and Kwaku. They're apologists in the worst sense of the word. And what I mean by that is they, they don't gather evidence, look at it objectively, and then report on the evidence. Mm -hmm. They'll either make claims without evidence, which is what they most often do, or they'll cherry pick or manufacture or misinterpret evidence and claim that they they've got a basis like like their claims about lgbt people and and the divorce rates of mixed orientation marriages and just the misery rates of mixed orientated married you know gay mormons that mm -hmm. marry women and you know they'll 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 cherry pick scholarly studies or evidence in a way that just misrepresents the truth so mm. anyway. yeah and that's another reason I wanted to do this video with you, John, because there's people, our viewers, who are like, okay, Mormonism clearly sounds crazy, and we know all of these things about it. How are people still believing it? Yeah. And so I wanted to have you on to speak about this interview, but also give our audience an idea of this is what your general roundabout Mormon would say to these questions, to these hard questions. This is how they respond. This is how they justify it, because I think it's important to also understand their perspective so we can be a little bit more compassionate as well and not just be like, you stupid idiot, you're in a cult, because it's so much more complicated than that. And we want to give them the respect of we understand the mentality in the space, that, the headspace that you're in, because, well, we've both been there, but also just giving them a voice of, okay, these are the arguments now you guys can see how you would feel if someone were to present that to you. And also the behind the scenes, which I thought would be really interesting. So the last point that was made in that little bit was Quakey said, yeah, but is this really a Mormon problem or is it a Western American problem as far as the harm caused by these groups? And then it kind of ended. <laughs> and so I wondered if you remember any sort of responses to that or why it just abruptly cut off? Yeah. I mean, they recorded for, I think, almost three hours and, and the actual video ended up like 50 minutes. So uh -huh. there's so much that got left on the cutting room floor. Yeah. That, that conversation towards the end, uh, I, and I don't remember what that was pulled from that Quaku clip specifically. Um, so I, I don't know that I even totally remember, but I mean, it's true that all people cause harm, all organizations mm -hmm. cause harm. And it's, it's true that, um, that, uh, the Mormon church isn't alone in the harm that it causes. And by the way, there's a lot of mainstream Christian faiths and even secular traditions that cause harm that maybe wouldn't be classified as cults, but that are still have a history of racism and sexism and homophobia and, and misogyny. So, I mean, the, what I felt Quaku was doing there was sort of whataboutism. If he can just say, we've all got problems, that helps deflect the attention off the problems of the Mormon church mm -hmm. that he was representing. And so I, I imagine that that 
might have been mentioned. But the truth is, by the end, we knew the goal was to conclude in a conciliatory way and hug it out. And so by the end, we weren't looking, we were looking more to build common ground. I mean, the, the podcast is called Middle Ground. Right. They were looking for us to kind of have a kumbaya moment at the end. <laughs> so by the end, we weren't as um, contradictory as we probably started. That came up a lot <clears throat> in the, well, like if everything's a cult or, well, that happens everywhere. And one of the things I noticed that kept coming up was, well, that's not just specific to our church. Lots of Christian religions believe that. And then you guys are saying, I think you said in the reaction video, well, that doesn't make it right. It just means that everyone's doing something harmful. <laughs> and so it didn't yeah. seem to make a lot of sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think, I mean, there was the whole thread about our women equal in the yeah. church. And I think Cardin made the argument that if the Bible had to be equally represented, men and women, then we'd have to pull Do out we like. take out the books of the Bible? Like 19 out of 20 books in the yeah. Bible we'd have to remove. Uh Again, it's, they were really poor arguments because they couldn't just stop and say, yeah, we need to do better. Right. We, we, women aren't equal. We've got some work to do. Like, wouldn't that be classy to just say, Hey, I love my faith. I still believe in it. And, I, and I, a couple times Quaku did that. And I'll, I'll just give Quaku credit. He stayed back on at least two. Of the mm. questions. One was, are LGBT people welcome in the church? And Quaku mm -hmm. stayed back for that one. And then I think both Quaku and Bella. Bella stayed back on the question of whether what are men women and women are, are equal in the church. Yeah. Right. And uh, to their credit, you asked Jonathan whether I thought we won. <laughs> Bella went, I think you may have heard this, Bella went out to lunch with the ex-Mormons after it was Did over. She? Oh, wow. And she basically said, I... I was kind of embarrassed to be on the side that I was. Oh. I wish that I had been on your side. And so I think Bella feels like we won too, not wow. to throw her under the bus. Well, but, she's a convert as well, yeah. which gave a really refreshing perspective because it seemed like she was more grounded in her arguments. <laughs> and, and she was one who did say, no, men and women are not equal, as you mentioned. And before we get to that one, um, the next prompt was the church welcomes the LGBTQ community. And we don't need to go too into depth because we did speak with Dylan, who was there, and Kara on this, but I feel like just to get it in there, guys, there was a moment where we were speaking about, or they were speaking about, if they had it the same as far as trials or like, oh, it's so hard to be gay, but I also have trials. And Garden said, you don't think I wouldn't trade a little bit of temper's gayness? Temper's one of the the Mormon men who was in gay relationships and then disavowed that quote lifestyle and married a woman and had kids. So he said, you don't think I wouldn't trade a little bit of tempers gayness for 20 years extra on this earth because he was dealing with or is dealing with leukemia. And everyone, I mean, I audibly gasped. Yep. <laughs> right? You were sure watching did. it with me. And I, I was, was like, like hey. <gasps> he did not just say that. <laughs> I think everyone had the same reaction. So, John, what were you thinking in that moment? Well, I was so glad when Jillian called that argument disgusting. I mean, on the one yeah. hand, on the one hand, man, if he really has cancer and he wasn't lying, that's sad. Of course. On, on the other hand, when the question is about a marginalized group, like straight man tears as a way to sort of like commandeer the sympathy and attention towards him, 
it's not super appropriate. Mm -hmm. Also, it pathologizes something that has no business being pathologized. And I'm so glad Jillian called him out on comparing being gay or lesbian to having leukemia. But, you know, everyone is very quick to say that gay people get cancer too. So it's not right. like that's even a really good comparison <laughs> right. because you could be gay and have leukemia. It's not, right. yeah, being but, gay is not a, an illness. It's not a sickness. It's not something that is cons like being gay is considered a sin. It's considered being wrong. You have to change your whole identity in order to be okay in the eyes of God, according to Mormonism. That's not the case with leukemia at all. Were you guys given these prompts beforehand before no. you showed up? So you had no idea what to expect. You just well, uh, that's a nuanced answer. So we weren't given the prompts beforehand. We weren't told who would be showing up beforehand. They did invite us to submit prompts. And I think four to five of the prompts they used, I submitted. Nice. Now that doesn't mean <laughs> they they didn't have those of their own accord or that other yeah. people didn't submit them to, but I they ended up using four or five of the prompts that I submitted, so. Nice. Yeah. Thank so you. in that way, yeah. Yeah, because I'm just curious, does does he, Cardin, does he go in with this answer, this this kind of off analogy, knowing that he's going to drop this? Or was this just some word vomit at the mo in the moment where as soon as it came out of his mouth, he's like, oh. why did I do that? No, I think those guys are like, I am pretty confident they get paid to be public Mormon uh, spokespeople. Now, I don't have evidence of that, but the way that these things traditionally have worked and the way they've worked for Cardin and Quaku in the past is that the church has wealthy donors donate to arm's length nonprofits mm. that then give money to people like Cardin and Quaku. Gotcha. So their professional, as far as I know, they have been in the past and until I'm persuaded otherwise, they continue to be on a payroll financed by wealthy Mormons paid to give these sort of responses. So I am very confident that if we went through Ward Radio's video archives, uh, Cardin would have made that argument on his own show. Got it. And would, that would be something he pulls out whenever the LGBT issue comes up. It did seem like he was attempting to commandeer his side's arguments over the other panelists as if he was thinking, let me, uh, you guys might embarrass me if you guys answer this question. Let me stand up and answer this. Did it well, feel that way? It's so hard because like, how do you combat an LGBTQ youth suicide epidemic, which I don't think anybody with a heart or a brain is arguing. Like when I was really tracking these numbers, Utah had triple the death by suicide youth rate as, you know, the average U.S. state. And um, and there was a high prevalence of, you know, we all knew LGBT youth that were um, dying by suicide. So how do you if you're in a debate or a discussion, how do you compete with that? Mm -hmm. Well, cancer is a card you can pull. Because like, who wants to argue with the guy who's disclosing cancer? I just think it's, it's tone deaf. Mm -hmm. I, I, I empathize with his cancer. I'm sorry for that. I hope he's healed. I hope he lives a long, healthy life. And I think it was grossly inappropriate. To and a just, straw man argument Total as well. straw man. Mm -hmm. And an attention grabbing sucked the attention towards me. And I think it was his best shot. But it backfired spectacularly. I don't think I've ever seen 
anything in the Mormon realm that had such a negative public reaction as Cardin's leukemia claim in an LGBT context. Right. And I think it also clearly illustrates the mentality that the Mormon church paints, which is being gay is a trial. And he really honestly believes you got your trials, you got your trials, you might be gay, I might have cancer. Like he really thinks that those are comparable because the church paints it in such a way where they're like, if you're gay, just don't be gay. (laughs) He has no idea what really comes with that. The shame and the guilt that comes with that of denying yourself or forcing yourself to be with someone of the sex that you don't want to be with. And so I think it just shows that he doesn't think it's a big deal. And so I loved when Jill jumped in and she's like, whoa, 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 being gay is not a trial. Being gay in Mormonism is a trial. And that was just like chef's kiss. Yeah, for sure. Also, like Cardin's a perfect example. You can have the type of leukemia that he has and still be married right. and still have kids and still be a dad still and still have a temple. career. Mm-hmm. Whereas a, a gay or lesbian Mormon, you know, oh, I should say, and marry a person you're attracted to right. who's attracted to you. You can still have, clearly he does, so you can still do all those things. If you're a gay or lesbian Mormon, you can't get married. You can't be married to a person you're attracted to who's attracted to you. You can't have kids, again, unless you're willing to enter into a marriage with somebody who you're not attracted to and who may not be attracted to you. Mm-hmm. So you're you're generally called on to live a life of celibacy, of solitude, of loneliness, of childlessness. And of course, not everyone wants children, and that's totally cool. Not everyone wants to get married, and that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. But a gay or lesbian Mormon, unless they want to marry someone that not only are they not attracted to, but in many cases, they're repulsed by from a sexual perspective. Imagine being married to somebody who you had aversion for, who when you had an intimate sexual act with them, you would turn your back to them afterwards and sob because you just had to have sex with somebody who repulsed you. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're a guy and you're straight, Imagine being forced to have sex with another guy or a woman like that's that's how because I interviewed for my LGBTQ PhD study 1612 LGBTQ Mormons and former Mormons by survey and several of them recounted sobbing on their wedding night after having sex with their spouse Mm -hmm. because they were repulsed by the person they were having sex with. And by the way, we always forget the straight spouse. Imagine being a woman, for example, who wants to be adored and loved and cherished by your husband. And instead of having your husband be really into you, they're actually repulsed by you. Mm -hmm. That happens. Aversion is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So like, in all those ways, they were just really trivializing something very serious. And even, t- is it Timber or Timber? I, yeah, I, tem- I, Timber, I It's think. a name I don't remember because I'm not familiar with the name. But even he was trivializing it because, again, mm-hmm. he may be bisexual. Maybe he is attracted to his wife. Maybe that marriage is working for him. Um, and then maybe it's okay, but, but even he should be able to realize there's likely a bell curve mm-hmm. and that he's probably on 
uh, the side of the bell curve, unless he's lying to everyone, he's probably on the side of the bell curve where he's able to do it. But he should still be able to say this works for me, but don't try this at home because 70% of these mixed orientation marriages fail. And even if they don't fail and end in divorce, and even if they don't end in divorce, they're loveless, in many cases, loveless, sexless, miserable, unsatisfying marriages. Not all of them, but most of them. Yeah. And I just wish they could have said, hey, you know what? This works for me. This works for a minority. But we acknowledge the Mormon churches, the carnage, because the more, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, Jonathan, I don't know if you know this, the Mormon church used to, you know, let's say it's 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, a a young gay man gets off his mission, goes to his bishop, says, Bishop, uh, I'm I'm gay. I thought my mission was going to cure me. It didn't. What should I do? Mormon bishop, by the book, would say, marry a woman, have kids, it'll go away. Mm. And so thousands and thousands and thousands of Mormon men, married women, gay Mormon men, married women at the suggestion and advice of their Mormon bishop. And then kids get involved, the marriage ends catastrophically, there's infidelities, there's misery, there's depression, and that's why there's been a 70% divorce rate. Mm. And if, if Tambor and Cardin and Kwaku are going to be public advocates for mixed orientation marriages, they should learn that history and at least acknowledge it and say, warning, if you do this, high, high risks for you, for your spouse, for the children that come out of it. That doesn't mean they're all failures and they're all miserable, but they should know enough of the history to be responsible. And they're not right now. They, they created some follow up videos basically saying that what we said is that Tambor's kids shouldn't exist or something, right. some weird, strained interpretation. We're not even criticizing Tambor for his decision. Mm-hmm. We're just saying don't be realistic. Don't recommend it to other people. Right. Get yeah. informed before you start talking about it like a great thing to be gay and to marry a straight person of the opposite sex right well it's also something that the mormon church promotes when something works for you it's a gift from god and that means it's possible and so for timber i'm sure he's like oh faith promoting moment missionary moment all i have to do is preach to all these gay men and say it worked for me it can work for you that's like his selling point it would make sense that he would only see things from that perspective because you're taught that when something works for you it's a blessing from god and that's it should strengthen your testimony and yeah. so I, it makes sense to me why they're not giving those caveats because it totally just dethrones the whole argument of it works. They would have to admit that sometimes it doesn't work. Yeah. And I think that would be too much for them. And I'll just say it again for those who care and want evidence. Like we published a study that showed that those who were able to make a mixed orientation marriage work were bisexual. So, you know, if you know the Kinsey scale, Alfred Kinsey, uh, developed a scale where if you have zero same-sex attraction, you're a zero on the Kinsey scale. If you're exclusively same-sex attracted, you're a six on the Kinsey scale. If you're perfectly bisexual, attracted to men and female equally, you're a three. And so that, you know, and of course, one and two follow that gradient, four mm-hmm. and five, six, etc. So, you know, yeah, there's going to be some who are primarily, um, or, or, or mixed in their orientations who might be able to make uh, a mixed orientation marriage work. But just because it works for Timber, who might be bisexual, 
doesn't mean it's going to work for someone who's a six on the Kinsey scale. Yeah. Who's not only not attracted to the opposite sex, but again, might be repulsed by them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All great things. All great things. I yeah. think we need to move on to the next one before we run out of time. So this one, can you talk about the one that's behind a paywall? The Patreon exclusive is masturbation a sin? Yeah. Yeah. So did the Spencer W. Kimball oral sex memo come up in the one they did release to the public? I'm forgetting. No. You I didn't hear about so. that. No. Okay. Yeah. So what I, I'm pretty sure came up in the footage that either did or didn't make the Patreon um, version was, you know, this question of um, profits changing over time, what is and isn't allowed. Because what, Car okay, I'm remembering now, Cardin basically compared masturbation as a sin to a, to a traffic ticket or a, or like a parking ticket. So in other what? words, yeah, Cardin's, Cardin said, okay, technically masturbation's a sin, but Pretty much everybody does it and you don't really get in trouble for it in Mormonism right now. It's more viewed like a, like a, like a parking ticket. What? I think that was his main argument. That's the argument is it's a sin, but it's not that bad of a sin. So don't worry about it. Well, the, the, I mean, the, the biggest problem for me is that that's just not reality. Like right. I, and I talked about this. This probably made the cut. I, I was a, you know, functioning psychologist for six years at Utah State University, where all I would see would be university students. And uh, as late as 2015, there were return missionaries coming to me saying that their bishops were grilling them on whether they masturbated or not. If they if they were masturbating, they weren't allowed to take the sacrament. Everyone in their ward would see they weren't yeah. taking the sacrament and would know why they, you know, would be able to guess or suspect why they weren't taking the sacrament. I had people come to me and say there would be a ward singles temple trip and the bishop wouldn't let him go on the temple trip because they were masturbating. So again, imagine 150 young adults all going to the temple to do baptisms for the dead. And they're like, come on, James, why aren't you coming? And it's like, well, I can't. And of course, everybody would fill in the blanks as to yeah. why. So uh, I've had people told they can't go on missions because they look at porn. Yeah. That's an incredibly shaming thing. And then, you know, I, I had members of my own family, young women asked by their bishops if they masturbated and shamed if they admitted it. So I just think it's factually wrong that it's handled like a parking ticket. I think it's it's not as bad as the LGBTQ suicide epidemic, but I think there are young, young men and young women all throughout the Mormonism as, as, as currently as 2024, who to this day are being shamed, punished, uh, um, by Mormon bishops and grilled by Mormon bishops for porn and masturbation. So does a Mormon have to tell their bishop every time they masturbate? It depends on the bishop. So that, yeah. that's the thing. Cardin, Cardin probably referenced a bishop that was like, don't worry about it. You're fine. But even that, like, even if you believe that there are bishops out there that don't care, and there are, there are Mormon bishops who don't care. That doesn't speak to all the bishops that do care. Yeah. And there are bishops that, that will ask you and they will punish you if you admit to it, which puts you in the position of either having to lie 
or admit to it and then face the consequences. Yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. It sure does. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. And that actually doesn't even speak to the doctrine <clears throat> itself because just because some bishop says it's okay doesn't mean the church says it's okay. The church says absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, the church, it was a Spencer W. Kimball who said, if you masturbate, you'll probably become a homosexual in this, yeah, the, 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 the masturbation leads to homosexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And so the church absolutely does not. <laughs> say that they're okay with masturbation. So, yeah, that's definitely something that is anecdotal and probably he just had a good bishop. Well, I do think over time the church does sometimes improve. And I'm guessing that that the church, because of the internet, because of podcasts and YouTube channels like yours, like mine, the church is realizing they're losing youth and they're looking super cringy. Yeah. Like Sam Young's movement to like shame the church right. out of having these one-on-one -on -one worthy inter interviews, worthiness interviews between Mormon bishops and 12-year-old girls where Mormon bishops sit alone with a 12-year-old girl and ask her where she touches herself and how often. I'm guessing that these... uh protestations against the Mormon church are leading the church to kind of chill out on the masturbation problem. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a positive thing. But what they have never done is make a blanket statement. It's okay now. Don't worry about it. You right. can't get in trouble for it. And so as long as they allow this ambiguity, like with gay marriage, mm -hmm. um, there are going to be bishops that are like, well, how did my bishop treat me? How did my stake president treat me? How did my dad treat me? What was Spencer B. Kimball and Boy K. Packer saying? When I was a young man, I'm going to enforce that as bishop. So mm -hmm. until the church fixes the problem, it's still a, a huge problem. Yeah. So the next <clears throat> one is women and men are equal in the church. Yeah. And <laughs> and you said that two of the Mormons stay behind, Kwaku and Bella, when the, and all the ex-Mormons stayed behind. All so the, the ex-Mormons yeah. stayed behind. <laughs> Which and was so, a super cringy moment. Yeah. So then the Mormons came out and it's the dudes and they're like, yeah, I mean, not technically equal, but totally equal. And it was just kind of like. No, mm. better. They're like, us men get frustrated that the women get treated better than the men. Wow. That's how it ended. Jeez. Yeah. I don't complete remember delusion. that part. I it's wonder like if favoritism. That was, I wonder if that was cut because I don't remember them saying That's that. That's right at the very end of the segment. You'll Is hear it? Cardin oh. saying, sometimes we get frustrated with preferential treatment, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my jaw's That's my on memory. the floor. If I've got that wrong, you can correct us in the comments. My jaw's on the floor. Yeah, wasn't there someone that they referenced? I forget <laughs> who, that they have a social media following. Yeah. yeah. They're like, she's got such an influence. If yeah. she put out a, if she put out an Instagram post, it would probably have more pull than if than the, the prophet. prophet. Everyone was what? like, okay, yeah. <laughs> we don't even know this chick. Yeah. That was, that was weak. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. some of the arguments I have written down, like, well, women don't have to have the priesthood to go to the temple. So like, what's the big deal? Or no other churches put women as equal than men. Or, well, guys, we're supposed to be like the Adam and Eve archetype. Um, well, it's the largest women's organization in the world. And then, the ex-Mormons were like, run by men. <laughs> but it's not even that. Like the the YWCA has like two or three times the number of members. So it's not even the largest women's organization in the world, even though it right. is run They're by men. They're speaking of the Relief Society, by the way. I didn't clarify, yeah, which but, is just like the thing for women. But yes, it always has to be accompanied by a man and that all their decisions have to be approved by the men. And the so men control the budget. Is it really yeah. a women's organization? No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> so that was disingenuous. It was, it's an example of them 
okay, they tried to quote a statistic or a fact, but it was completely wrong. Yeah. But they, you won't hear them apologize and say, sorry, we claimed that the Mormon Relief Society is the largest women's organization in the world. And it isn't. They just throw pseudo facts out there to, to kind of get through the, get through the experience. But just look up the membership of the YWCA and compare it to the Relief Society, which at most is going to have 8 million women because there's the church claims like 17 million. But, but we know the activity rates in the Mormon church are about 25%. Yeah. Like 4 million, right? Yeah. So the most active Mormons are ours, 4 million. So it's really 2 million if, if half are women. So it's just pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. Then they mentioned that, well, we have a heavenly mother. And then all the ex-Mormons were like, who we can't talk about and we can't pray to. Even Bella, the current Mormon, was like, well, I remember asking about heavenly mother and it was a one minute conversation because there was no information. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they know better, too. Like, just this is just a total nerdy factoid. The, the Mormon Church at BYU, at Brigham Young University, has an apologetic institution called the Maxwell Institute that basically exists to defend the church. And a few years ago, they hired a scholar named Terrell Givens to be like a, a head figure at the Maxwell Institute. And they brought on his wife, Fiona, and we've had them on the podcast as like a like a spousal hire. So Terrell and Fiona Givens are both working at BYU at the Maxwell Institute. And Fiona's really into Mother in Heaven. So she started giving talks about Mother in Heaven and started working on a book about Mother in Heaven all throughout kind of progressive Mormon circles. And guess what happened? The the church leadership got uncomfortable with Fiona talking about Mother in Heaven and told her either stop talking about Mother in Heaven publicly or we're going to let you go. Mm. And so either they let her go or she resigned. But like that happened just a few years ago with a guy who's who, you know, with a with a woman whose husband still works at the Maxwell Institute. So like. It's so ridiculous. You can't talk about Mother in Heaven. You can't pray to Mother in Heaven. If you're caught talking about her or praying to her, you get punished by the church. So it was totally disingenuous comments they were making about how much we love and celebrate and honor Mother in Heaven. To this day, women and men are getting published for even talking about her. Yeah. And in your reaction video, you talked about how they cut a lot of the stuff out about Cardin saying, well, you just want the priesthood. You just want the priesthood. And the ex-Mormons are like, we didn't even bring up the the priesthood. And for those who aren't familiar, the priesthood is basically the special power given by God to basically every man. (laughs) And every 12, from 12 year old, 12 years Mm -hmm. on, you get the priesthood, the power of God, and you can give blessings with this power. You can prepare the sacrament, bless the the sacrament. You can administer the sacrament. Become a bishop. Become a bishop. Go on missions. You can heal the sick. Yes. With oil. You can become a bishop. You can become a top, a prophet in the church. Like you can lead the church, Mm -hmm. unlike women who just can't lead the church. Like all important leadership positions in the Mormon church are led by priesthood holders. Yeah, which I also find interesting. Someone in our comments mentioned that they were a woman in the church who was doing temple work and they were given the power of the priesthood to do anointings. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, so women women perform temple ordinances in the temple with women. Okay. And they do it by the power of the priesthood. 
And so that's like one of the, in my opinion, lame apologetic answers is even though women can't do the sacrament or be leaders in the church in the most sacred place in the temple, they can still perform those temple rituals on other women. They can put oil on people. Right? I mean, or <laughs> like, yeah, prepare them for their endowment. Yeah. Like put their shield on. They, they do, they do the, the washings and anointings, which is this weird little oil uh -huh. temple ritual. But again, that's scraps, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that scraps? Yeah. There was a moment where, and I forgot to mention this in our interview together, where I was really sick and I needed a blessing. And my dad, I think, was living in Oregon at the time. And my mom told me yesterday, she goes, yeah, and I knew the neighbor who was in the council, the bishopric, was sleeping with a secretary. I knew he wasn't worthy to give you a blessing. And so I did it myself. And she gave me a blessing with the power of the priesthood even though she wasn't supposed to. And I felt like it totally worked. But it's one of those moments where if anyone were to find out, she would have probably been punished for doing that. For sure. Yeah. That's such a weird thing that like a Guatemalan single mom can't lay her hands on her son's sick son's head and heal him. She's got to call like the local missionaries or the local uh -huh. elders quorum president to come bless her son. Like God's going to bless the son the sick son with a superior blessing if it's a Mormon and a Mormon man in a white suit with uh -huh. oil versus just this humble mother who has faith and loves her son. But in Mormonism, yeah, that mother's healing blessing for her son is going to be less powerful. And it's God who's going to make the white missionary from Utah's. From Utah blessing effective like uh -huh. what kind of yeah. god would yeah. do that it makes no sense so in your <laughs> opinion john because they're like especially Cardin, he's like i don't know what do you want just tell me what you want then women <laughs> yeah, yeah. what do you think would be a good solution to make men and women more equal in the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints i mean it's funny because when the ordained women movement happened back in 2013 uh the cynical kind of ex-mormons were like Mormon men have a unicorn and the women want one too. In other words, the priesthood isn't real. It's not really the power of God. Yeah. It's a fake, it's, it's like a fake credential with no real power. So like, why would women want something fake? But if you're in the church, it's the power. Mm. It's decision making power. And so, yeah, anything short of full, of full enfranchisement of women into the positions of power, which means giving them the priesthood. Well, I mean, do, do we, do any of us agree that separate but equal drinking fountains or separate but equal schools for, for black people versus white people versus Hispanic people? Do any of us think that's a good idea in 2024? Like separate but equal got struck down in like the fifties, if I mm -hmm. have that correct. So like this idea of separate but equal, women get their things and men get their things. And it just so happens that men get to make all the decisions and control the money and, and women get to be with the babies and serve casseroles. That's never <laughs> going to work. Yeah. You know, and I can't believe in 2024, somehow we're not all writing about the fact that in a, in a global world religion, women are still second class citizens. But mm -hmm. That's true in Catholicism. It's true in Islam. So Mormons aren't the only ones. It's almost like people of color and LGBT men come before women in importance. And that, I hate that. Like, 
Like, we'll have a gay male president probably before we have a woman president. Mm. Why are women always last? It's outrageous, you know? I, I hate it. Yeah, and what the women were saying, I think Liz mentioned this, was we just want to see leadership roles given to women. We don't even need the priesthood. Just let us give more talks. Let us be up there. Bella mentioned representation. representation. Yeah. And Bella, who is the current Mormon, said... Yeah, the only time a woman is up on the stand during Sunday sacrament meeting yeah. is when she plays the piano, yeah, plays the organ, but she yeah. can't even stay up there. She has yeah. to come back down yeah. and sit with her family. And she's like, I would love to see women who are actually up there because who mentioned that even from a children's perspective, I think it was Liz, children can see that, oh, men run this church, not women. Yeah, I, I can think of, you know, a couple things like... What are some of the worst things about the Mormon church? It's, it's, it's LGBTQ policies. Uh, I'll say other than the misogyny and the, and the sexism, it's LGBTQ policies, the cover up of child sexual abuse, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'll say excommunications, you know, I just have to think if half of all the Mormon church leaders all the way up to the top were women, would the Mormon church have a, less tolerance for child abuse? I kind of think so. Yeah. Would less people get excommunicated by the Mormon church if half of its leaders were women? I kind of think so. And would the Mormon church have figured out its LGBTQ problems or its racist problems if half of its leadership were women? I think it would. So I just really think it would help the church. Plus, all these 20 and 30-something women now uh, they're, they're not going to stay in a church that's overtly misogynistic mm -hmm. and, and sexist. So it's, it's to the church's own detriment to hold on to these outdated patriarchal policies. Yeah. So like I, for all those reasons, the church would, and plus just women are amazing leaders and humans. We know that Mormonism is kind of on its last leg here. Now that we have the internet and there's a big <laughs> drop off every single year. Do you think that will, that Mormonism will ever get to a point where there is representation of women before it falls off a cliff? Yeah, I do. But it may take another, I mean, it'll probably be the Catholic Church before it's us, and they still haven't gotten there. So it may be another three decades. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you're right. I think they are probably going to change the rules around gay marriage before they let women hold more power. Yeah, for sure. What, yeah. Which I hope they change it for everybody. I hope everyone wins. Yeah. Um, which leads us to our next thing. Is it okay for the doctrine to change? That was the prompt. And I liked how you stepped forward and you were like, yeah, I think it's great that it can change. And these are all the things that have changed already. And I was loving it. I'm like, he's just dropping all these facts to get him to squirm. It's like racism, polygamy, yeah. the, the, death oaths the, in the yeah, temple. Yeah, it was so good because I was looking at the Mormons like, how are you going to respond to that? <laughs> and their whole thing was like, well, what does okay even mean? I'm like, really? We're going to break down the vocabulary of what does okay mean? Like, no, that's just when, say that's it when can they change were like, or it can't. That's when Tambor was like, skin of blackness is a... What yeah, so what, what, did, oh. what did Quaco have to say to that? Yeah, what was the word he used? It wasn't metaphor. It was oh, uh, uh, idiom? idiomatic. Idiom. Yeah, it's an idiom. it was like when it says skin of blackness, what it means is spiritual darkness and not skin of blackness. Okay, and so. I loved how you were like, no, it says skin of blackness, and it, <laughs> you were really pressing it, and you were like, yeah, but doesn't it literally say that they were cursed with a skin of blackness so they wouldn't be attractive to the white people? And he's like, no, it's more. And then it got down to when you pressed <laughs> it, he was like, 
well, maybe it's Nephi, the guy who was talking Nephi's about racist. the skin of blackness who's <laughs> racist and not God. And you're like, well, okay. <laughs> I guess, okay, we'll just say that a prophet is racist <laughs> instead of God. I mean, that's what they have to, the, the text is very clear. By the way, from Joseph Smith on, you know, for the next 150, 200 years, there was no question that when they said skin of blackness, they meant skin of blackness to the point where the Mormon church systemically excluded uh, you know, members of African descent from priesthood if they're men mm -hmm. or from the temple if they're men or women. I thought it was funny that Kwaku, his response was, well, you know, people want to apply the Book of Mormon to, to people of African descent. And it has nothing to do with people of African descent. And I love the commenters that it's like, oh, so it's okay if the Book of Mormon's racist against like Native Americans and Latinos and Hispanics. Uh -huh. Just, you know, it has nothing to do with it. It's, it's equally outrageous, right? Mm -hmm. Do you remember if he was a convert or if he was born? Yeah, he, he was an absolute convert. He was raised in Houston and he joined the church after high school, in or after high school. I wonder what sold him. I don't know. Like, I do know that he's like a professional actor. And I just wondered whether he was literally recruited to Mormonism to be a paid actor apologist because he was in early YouTube videos and podcasts. As like the token black guy? As a paid actor token black guy. Sure. Wow. And he's, I think he's smart. I think he's, yeah, he he's thoughtful. He's, he's witty. He's intelligent. Mm hmm. You know, Kara had a reaction video to the Jubilee video, and there's something that she said that he felt that she still wasn't understanding his belief system. So I think if social media serves us right, he's going to post something uh, commenting on the reaction to the reaction here soon. So maybe we'll get some more insight to how he feels about things after, yeah. now that everything's come out. Yeah, like we know that he's had a, pretty rough past year just in his personal life because of stuff he's posted and others. He was, he was so thoughtful and diplomatic in the Jubilee video. Even Margie, we were all like, well, maybe Quaku's turned over a new leaf and he's mm -hmm. becoming less of a jerk in, in how he talks publicly. But his comments since the middle ground episode aired have been as, I don't know, hateful and as mean spirited mm -hmm. as ever. Oh. And un unkind and unfair and dishonest. And so it leads you to wonder whether he was just acting yeah, for that's Jubilee. A, that's really a bummer to hear because I was rooting for him in some points where he, for the LGBTQ thing, he was like, well, gay people aren't going anywhere. Mormonism isn't going anywhere. There's going to have to be a middle ground. And I was like, yeah, that's a very progressive thing to say where it seemed like he was on board with the doctrine changing because he wants to create less harm. And so it's really frustrating to hear that on a different spectrum, on a different side of the story, in a different podcast, he's saying mean-spirited things. And that's so typically Mormon to code switch. I mean, we all code switch, but it's so Mormon to speak one way to the public and then totally different way to your people behind closed doors. Yeah. Gordon B. Hinckley did that, you know, when Larry King sang, mm -hmm. you know, do you guys believe in polygamy? He's like, no, it's, it's outdated. We don't believe that anymore. We don't practice it. We don't. But, but, you know, he's not going to say that when he gets up at general conference mm -hmm. or the whole question about whether Mormons believe that men will become gods someday. Right. Gordon Me Hinckley said, you know, whether it was to Mike Wallace or whoever, I don't know that we believe, I don't know that we teach it. I don't know that we emphasize it, but then he Wink. comes right back. 
in general conference and says, you guys know that I know the doctrine, telling all the Mormon people nothing's changed. This idea of speaking differently when when you're speaking to the public versus how you speak privately, it's a human thing. It's yeah. definitely a Mormon thing. And just compare, if you don't believe me, just compare Quaku's tone and demeanor during the interview that was public facing on Middle Ground with Jubilee with what he's published since with, with World Radio. And you'll see his true colors. Yeah. And also with the doctrine, <clears throat> is it okay for it to change? The number one argument that we hear all the time from every true believing Mormon is, well, if it changed, it was never doctrine. It was just a policy. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was a big one where all the ex-Mormons were like, no, 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 let's talk about this. If it comes from a prophet, it's painted as doctrine. It's painted as prophecy. It's painted as revelation. And when it gets reversed, they don't want to be embarrassed. And they say, well, it was just a policy that we were trying out. Yeah. Yesterday's bigoted doctrine is today's dis disassociated policy yep. and that's true with how we street talk about lgbt people how we talk about people of color uh how we talk about the catholic church catholic church used to be called the great and abominable church and that was mormon doctrine that the catholic church was the whore of all the earth Jeez. right and you could find that in a book called mormon doctrine but the church you know over thankfully the church changes over time yeah but instead of just modern Mormons just saying, yeah, you know, prophets get it wrong and, you know, we can look at them as being thoughtful, well-intentioned men, but you have to take what they teach with a grain of salt. You'll never hear a Mormon stand up from the pulpit in sacrament meeting and say, yeah, prophets sometimes speak for God and sometimes it's just policy that, that turns out to be not true. No one's ever said that at a pulpit in general conference and survived their membership. Yeah. But so then it they, is disingenuous. Forced, but then they're forced into that argument later. So they'll never say that publicly. And you'll never hear the prophet be like, yeah, sometimes I get it wrong. It's It has to be right. It has to be right. It's from God. It's what God wants. But then when they're backed into a corner, it's, well, sometimes they're speaking as men. And then I think, was it you that you were like, Okay, so how are we supposed to know when they're speaking for God and or speaking as a man? Yeah, and there's no way to know. Um, I mean, I used to joke that, how do you know if a prophet's speaking for God, his mouth is moving? Yeah. <laughs> because anything that anything that was said in the past is, is probably not true anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless it's like Jesus, you know, died for us, like super generic Christian things mm -hmm. that, that are true across all the religions. Okay. Those have changed some, but, but we've still kept the basics. There's a God. Jesus died for our sins. We should repent and have faith, but none of that's uniquely Mormon, mm -hmm. but everything else that's uniquely Mormon is changing all the time. It's changing all the time <laughs> and it's going to change in the future. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. then the last one here is does or not does Mormon church has done good in the world. Yeah. Which is a statement. And you step forward on this one. Today? Yeah, I, I think there's no question the Mormon church has done a lot of good. It's like the U.S. government. The U.S. government has done horrific things in like, you know, Latin America and in, in the Middle East and like, and to its own people. And it's done a lot of great things. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not the type of ex-Mormon that is just going to say the church is all evil yeah. and only, only hurts people. I just yeah. don't believe it. Well, we talk about that all the time when it comes to regular cults is they're not all bad or no one would join. There has to be some good to For it. Sure. People have to get something out of it. And that also doesn't mean you have to stick around because they do some good. If 
it's overwhelmingly bad in your specific situation, it's okay to leave it. And I think that's what people have a lot of issue with or they have a hard time with is they're like, well, yeah, it sucks and I feel like crap all the time and I feel ashamed and this and that. But they give money to charity, so it's probably is a, a good church. We're not saying that it's all evil. In fact, I don't even know if evil is the right word to use at all. I think there's just a lot of things that can be improved upon to help it become a better church, a safer place, For sure. a more peaceful place. For sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is true. I haven't fact-checked it, but I think like the Volkswagen Beetle was developed under Hitler. I think the Autobahn was developed under Hitler. Like, um you know, you know, bad, bad people, bad leaders can, can do some good things. That's just a fact mm -hmm. for me. I'll never forget the documentary wild, wild country, the cult documentary mm -hmm. that I watched along with like, Holy hell. And even the Nexium ones, like one of the things that's common for every cult documentary I've ever watched is that the, the ex cult members will say that was the happiest time of my life was when I was in the cult because you have meaning and purpose and community and identity and spirituality and you know you 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 have a cause that you're fighting for and yeah. all your questions are answered and you you know you fit into this cog and you know if you curry favor with the leader you're probably getting some sex and some money on the side like mm. from one standpoint what's not the love <laughs> but just cuz you're loving being in a in a group doesn't mean it's not deadly Harmful. To you eventually mm -hmm. or to somebody else, right? Or harmful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a great point. Did you want anything? Babe? No, no. Yeah. Well, that concluded the Jubilee interview and those were all great points. Thank you for sharing your behind the scenes and your expertise. Uh, was there anything that you wish would have been in the cut that they cut out? I mean, yeah, Jillian gave a really good comparison of being gay in the church to being like a pet dog, oh. like people pat you on the head. They'll give you the scraps, but you're not allowed a seat at the table. I really wish that that had made it in. Yeah. Honestly, it's so funny because Cardin and Kwaku, you know, they, they obviously lost the discussion. So they were complaining about the edits, that the edits were biased. Oh. And I said this in my, my reaction, like they are so lucky for all the stuff that that didn't get included all the cringy awful stuff because Cardin said two to three times more cringy stuff How that didn't that make possible, it in John? no it's it's 100 true and but but more importantly he came off as obnoxious because he had to respond to every single point that anyone made yeah and he would monologue and he would just monologue for long periods of time to the point where after every prompt, they literally would tell the group, please don't monologue, please don't monologue. And we all knew they were talking <laughs> to Cardin, but he wouldn't stop. He like literally couldn't stop. Yeah. So I think it's ironic that they've been complaining about the edits being favorable to the ex-Mormons. I think the edits and the cringy stuff that they left out was, was much more favorable to Cardin, in yeah. my opinion. Wow, that is terrifying to even think of because every time he spoke, I was like, oh no, <laughs> he doesn't see it. Like, I, I, like, how long is the church going to want him being one of the main spokespeople for the church? Right. Like, there's no, I can guarantee you, Jubilee, middle ground, Mormons versus ex Mormons didn't, was not good for the Mormon church's image. Yeah. And Cardin is, was reason number one, two, and three. <laughs> 
you know, <laughs> for that. And I don't hate the guy. I, I, I think he's smart and talented, but he's not. He doesn't represent the church well. Two things that are weird are, number one, he doesn't realize how poorly he represents the church and he keeps going doing the same thing, thinking somehow he's doing the church a favor. Cardin, you're leading people out of the church because the way you advocate for the church is unchristlike and it's cringy, you, you know? And, I'm, and if you don't believe me, just go read those comments. It's not because Jubilee edited the video in a, it's because you say cringy, weird, awkward, inappropriate things loudly and obnoxiously, and you don't read the room. So, yeah. so it's weird that he doesn't see that. And if he really loves the church, he just passes the mic to other people. But how long is the church going to let people like Cardin and Kwaku and Tambor represent them? Because they're probably the most prominent Mormon voices in the world right now. In the world. Oh, is there another Mormon-themed YouTube channel? that has more subscribers and views, even faithful. I, it, they're certainly in the top three. So how long is it going to be before the church is like, Cardin, Kwaku, stop. Yeah. You're not helping. But but they haven't yet. So that's, you know, I guess I'm, we'll I'm curious about that, right? They might it, get some media training from the lawyers. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I just don't. How, how did they convince any millennials or Gen Zers or Gen Xers to rejoin the church or to, to join the church? I mean, I would say definitely not. I would say their audience is or are the people who are currently in and need a reason to be biased and homophobic <clears throat> and need a reason to be like, see, they get it and yeah. validating their own painful thoughts about the church. But I but but it's always been my experience that apologists end up accelerating the disaffection of believing members, because it's one thing to have cringy beliefs, but to, but to like know the world is watching Jubilee Middle Ground and then to see Cardin and Kwaku and Tambor give those cringy, lame, uninformed explanations, like that causes believing Mormons to start doubting and questioning. And inevitably your apologetics Cardin and Kwaku and Tambor are going to accelerate the disaffection of faithful believing Mormons because you just, it's not compelling. It's not credible. It's cringy. It's not thoughtful. It's not informed. So like, if you love the church, do yourselves in the church a favor and pass the mic. That's what, I, and I do whatever you want. Or like, maybe just let them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot of ex-Mormons that are like, it. go Kwaku, go Cardin. <laughs> like, I think ex-Mormons love that Kwaku and Cardin are representing the church because, because they're doing so much damage. Yeah. Right. But that's not, I don't feel that way. I'd, I'd rather the church, I still consider myself Mormon culturally, and I want the church looking as, thoughtful and as wise as possible because it reflects on me at the end of the day. Yeah. So I, I wish the church would just get better spokespeople. Yeah. Well, on that note, does that lead into a Linda Listen moment? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have a Linda Listen, John, it's, sassy statement that you want to make toward anyone um, or something yeah. inspirational for our viewers? Yeah. Uh, Linda Listen, Cardin and Kwaku passed the mic. <laughs> <laughs> Linda, a.k.a. Cardin and Kwaku. <laughs> yeah. Pass that mic if you want to do yourselves in the church any favor. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, this was awesome. Thank you again. Thanks for joining us, Jonathan. Yeah. And I think that's about it. So everyone, if you're not already subscribed to John's channel, Mormon Stories, do that. Um, go send him money. He has donor <laughs> boxes on your website, right? And check out his content. He has thousands of interviews that you can watch, and they are very long form, so you can hear everyone's Mormon story from start to finish. Um, I don't know when this is going to come out versus the episode so we just did together, but eventually I will be on there as well and we'll link it once it is live. And do you have any other final thoughts before we go? No, just we love Colts to Consciousness. I love you too. And congratulations for the thank you. Yeah, for the new life that will soon be joining us. Da -da -da. And uh, thank you, John. Yeah. And uh, just keep up the great work you guys are doing. I can't wait for you guys to pass Mormon Stories and become the <laughs> largest Mormon themed in a way channel out there, even though you're much more than Mormon themed, obviously. Well, we love doing collabs with you and it's always so fun to have these conversations. So guys, leave those words of encouragement, those comments down below. Let us know what you thought of the episode. If you want to support the podcast even further, you can become a patron. Patreon.com slash cults to consciousness. You can get some merch. I'm sorry for what I said when I was in a cult. Kwaku and Carnage should get it. <laughs> Someone send them some Oh, that would be so funny if we like sent that to them. I won't do it, but you guys can uh, mail them a shirt. And if you want to go to Costa Rica with us, we're trying to get John over here to come with us. Really? <laughs> yeah, come oh, to Costa Rica okay. with us. This is the official <laughs> invite. We're going to Margie. Yeah, we have six spots left, and that's at the end of August. And if you like this video, I will link to down here below that you can check out. And until next time, follow your highest excitement, be conscious, and be well. Thanks for listening. If you like what you hear, it would mean a lot if you could like and subscribe on YouTube and leave a review or a comment to help with our visibility. You can also find me on social media at cults to consciousness or reach out by email at cults to consciousness at gmail.com.